Hello. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. We hope that you will be encouraged and it builds your faith. Thanks for listening. Revelation and uh, in this series that we're in, Days Ahead. And, uh, and uh, of course, out of the book of Revelation, of course, we are uh, going at a slow pace. There'll be a, a time when I'll break off and do a sermon here or there that's not out of the book of Revelation, but I'm going to try to stay as much as we can in the book of Revelation. I couldn't wait to preach tonight. I really have a good word for you. And uh, if I could get it out the way, the way I got it, you know, that's the thing. It's the transfer of getting it out the way I get it. So if I could get it out the way I get it, we'll all be blessed tonight. And, uh, but um, I'm excited to preach tonight. And uh, I know it's going to be a great word and encourage you. Book of Revelation chapter 4. Let's read the first five verses of Revelation 4. And then we'll get right into uh, the teaching tonight. After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like the trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up hither, and I will show you things which must take place after this. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. He he who sat there was like a jasper and sardis stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne, in appearance, like an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their head. And from the throne proceeded lightning and thunders and voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne which are the seven spirits of God. Hallelujah. What a great passage of Scripture tonight. Revelation 4 tonight enters into the beginning of the third division of the book of Revelation, uh, which will begin as what we call um, the things that are hereafter. We saw John was told to write three things. He was told to write what you have seen, That was the vision of Christ that he had in chapter 1 that we see. The second was the write about the things which are, which was the church age. We talked about that last week. And and this is the time between the first coming of Christ and his return. Uh, This is the things, the church age. uh, But the church age will culminate and end with what we call the rapture of the church. Now, there's three thoughts on the rapture of the church. Some teach the rapture of the church is what we call pre-tribulation, a time when the church, the rapture of the church, the Lord returns at the end of the church age for his church, and it's pre-tribulation period, which is the seven years of tribulation that is spoken about in Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, uh, what is called the weeks, the, the one week of tribulation, which is translated seven years. Uh, Daniel talks about those seven years being divided into 42 months each in halves. And uh, uh, so there's the pre-tribulation period. Some believe that the tribulation or the rapture of the church is going to happen in the middle of the tribulation. After the first 42 months of peace, then the one whom we call the Antichrist will break covenant uh, with uh, Israel and with the earth. And uh, that is the time the Lord returns and comes and gathers his children, which would be in the middle of the tribulation period, uh, which is right between the seven trumpets and the seven vile judgments that are being poured out. Then there's those who believe that the rapture of the church happens at the very end of the tribulation period. In other words, they believe the church will go through all of the uh, tribulation period, the seven-year tribulation period. And at the end of the seven years, the Lord will return. Uh, They use Matthew 24 and 30 and 31 as their scripture for that. Uh, But I'm not here to talk about what, if we're pre-trib, mid-trib, or post-trib. We'll talk a little bit about that uh, as we get in further into the study. Uh, I truly believe the scripture teaches a pre-tribulation rapture. And I'm going to show you some scriptures tonight that may help you with that. But we'll talk about that later on. Post-tribulation uh, those are what most of those who believe in post-tribulation uh, actually believe. They're called all millennialists, which means that there is no millennial reign. They don't believe there's a thousand-year reign 
with Christ. They believe he returns. Uh, he gathers us up. We come right back with him and take control. Uh, and then the new heaven and new earth come. So it's a whole theory. And we won't get into all that tonight. But I, I want to talk a little bit tonight about this tribute or about the rapture of the church. The church age has ended. The rapture of the church. There's a famous song uh, that I love uh, to hear sing. There was a, a man in my church that used to sing it when we pastored in Arkansas. And the song was, At the Midnight Cry, uh, uh, Christ Will Return. How many of y'all know that song, At the Midnight Cry? And what a powerful song. Uh, we'll be going home. Amen? And, uh, and so it's a great song of the rapture of the church. And so, but he said, Write these things which shall be hereafter, which are the prophetic things, which is the third thing. But all of this is culminated by the rapture of the church. The second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ is called the blessed hope. It is the blessed hope. Now, we all know that our eyes are on our nation right now and, uh, and the pandemic, which is happening. And, uh, and, uh, but we should be ready for the Lord's return. We should not be living fearful, right? And those who uh, live by sorrow are always looking back. Those who worry are always looking around them. But those who live in hope are always looking up. Amen? So we should all be looking up tonight because Jesus is going to come again for those who are saved, for those who are born again, uh, who have been born twice, born of the flesh and born of the Spirit, those that have been heaven-born, and then those that have been born uh, heavenly will also, we will be headed for heaven, we will be bound for heaven, because the Bible speaks of a rapture of the church when Jesus comes and gathers his church. And it's a miraculous event, a moment when we will be transformed, when we will be given a glorified body. We will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. And those who have already died in the Lord will be raised from their graves to meet their spirits in the air. We who are alive and remain... Uh, will be caught up with him, forever changed, and we shall be uh, uh, forever changed. And the Bible says we shall be together forever with the Lord. How many know that's a great promise to us? And so that points us here to Revelation chapter 1 and verse 4. Uh, there are some reasons why we believe that this is the rapture of the church. We, what we, with John's vision here is not only does he have a vision of the church being caught up, but he also has a, a glimpse of heaven. He's given a moment of a vision on the inside of heaven, and when he looks into heaven, uh, you're going to see some signs that are going to show us that the church is already there. The church has already been raptured at this moment, at this third junction right here, after the church age, the rapture of the church. It's a powerful scene and uh, a very powerful scene, beginning with this verse in the book of Revelation, and we began to deal with the future, the rapture of the church, and everything that transpires after that. But I want you to see a few things. I'm going to use W's tonight so that you can keep notes and you can keep them all. I'm going to give you four W's tonight, and uh, that way you can remember four W's. The first W I want to talk about tonight is I want to talk about... Uh, uh, the, the what factor, the sacred mystery of the rapture. The what. What is the what? What, is the, what are we talking about when we talk about the rapture of the church? The sacred mystery of the rapture of the church. Now, you know the Bible calls the rapture of the church a mystery. In 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 51, all the way to the end of that particular chapter, uh, it's, talk, it's a mystery in the Bible. What is a mystery? A mystery in the Bible is a truth that no one can figure out uh, of his own, uh, her own accord, but a truth that is revealed by divine revelation. That is a mystery. And in 1 Corinthians 15, the catching away of the saints or the rapture of the church is what Paul calls a mystery of the church. So in order to understand it, we must use the Word of God to give us insight in it and let the Word of God, uh, let the Word of God teach the Word of God. And so it's a mystery. It's, 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 
that's given to us by divine revelation and understanding. Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1, it said, after these things. Now, you're going to see this phrase all through the book of Revelation. After these things. You will see three phases, or three uh, uh, phrases that are mentioned through the book of Revelation. You will see after these things. You will see after this. Uh, and then you will see after these things have come. And these three phrases you will see through the book of Revelation. What is that telling us? The reason you see that is because John and the Holy Spirit is trying to tell us that the book of Revelation is not a book that's all over the map. When you read the prophecies of the return of the Lord in the Old Testament, you have a prophecy here and a prophecy there. You have a prophecy here in Zephaniah. You have a prophecy in Daniel. You have a prophecy uh, in these. What you begin to see is that when you see these in the book of Revelation, what it's teaching us is this. It is teaching us that the book of Revelation is in chronological order. That what happens in this book is chronological. It brings all of the Old Testament prophecies of the coming of Jesus and pulls them all together into one book. And now through the book of Revelation, we see this chronological order of the return of the Lord and the rapture of the church and the beginning of days and after these things. That's why I told, titled this sermon series in the book of Revelation, Days Ahead, because it talks about after this, after this, when this has happened, then this will happen. And I gave you eight chronological events that will happen in the book of Revelation last week. And so we talked about them. But Revelation chapter uh, 4 and verse 1, John here says, After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this. So here we see John he is, he is transported from earth to heaven. There is a, he is being transported. He is being caught up. He is being transported up from earth to heaven. I want you to turn with me, if you would, over to the book of Thessalonians chapter 4. And I want to, to take a moment here in Thessalonians chapter 4. And um, here in, uh, also, Paul gives us the event of the events that are happening in the, in the rapture of the church. Paul here gives us the description of the rapture of the church. Now what is happening here is that, is that the, Paul is speaking to the Thessalonican church and they're all panicky and frantic because they've gotten confused about what Paul was preaching when he talked about the coming of the Lord and the rapture of the church. This church obviously was waiting on the return of Jesus through Paul's preaching. They thought he was coming soon. But they were ignorant in the fact that they thought that their dead was going to miss the rapture of the church. That Jesus was going to come back and gather them, but their loved ones that had gone before them had already been buried and they were concerned and panicking that they would not have the opportunity to know Jesus or to be a believer. So for those who had died and um, their bodies were in the grave, uh, they, they were concerned. And Paul began to speak to them in verse 13 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, he said, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you, uh, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For I believe that Jesus Christ rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus Christ. Paul is trying to calm them and explain to them that, listen, brother, you have to understand that, that I don't want you to be ignorant in concerning the things of, of the rapture of the church. And when this event happens and at the rapture, the body will be raised and be reunited with the spirit. Uh, and the spirit of those that are alive will come down with Jesus and meet them in the air. And they will have a new body. In other words, we believe when we read this passage of scripture, if you, if you see in verse 17, Paul says, then we who are alive... Paul uses a personal pronoun there. Then we who are alive. You know why? Because Paul believed that Jesus was going to return in his day. In other words, Paul was looking for the return of Jesus. Paul was looking for Jesus to return back even in his day. Paul expected Jesus to come back. And the word that he uses here to describe the return of the Lord is interesting. He uses the word caught up. Let's, look at, let's read from verse 15. 
For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. Paul's explaining. Listen, your dead loved ones who, who trusted in Christ will not be left out. When the Lord returns, he will come with those who are asleep. Verse 16, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the trump of the archangel, and the dead in Christ will rise. Then, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together in the Lord, in the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air. Thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words, Paul's saying. These are the words that you comfort one another with. Paul here is talking, and he uses the word that we shall be caught up. It's an interesting word in the Greek. It means, in the Greek, it's harpazo, uh, and, it's, and it's a word that means to be caught up, to be snatched up. Um, actually, the word rapture is not mentioned in the Bible. Many critics say that how can you teach the rapture of the church uh, when the word rapture is not in the Bible? Well, that's true. The word rapture is not in the Bible. There are a lot of words that we use that are not in the Bible. The word trinity is not in the Bible, but one of the words for God is Elohim, which is plural. So trinity is not in the Bible, but we know God is triune, right? Uh, the word millennial reign is not in the Bible, but it's what we use to describe a thousand-year reign of Christ is a millennial reign, but it doesn't mean that there's not going to be a millennial reign. Uh, then, there, then the word Bible, the word Bible is not in the Bible, right? The word is biblios, which means books, sacred books. Do you ever read Bible in the Bible? Bible's not in the Bible, but we call it the Bible. It doesn't make it any less sacred. Divinity is not in the Bible, but divine is, right? He is divine. Divinity is his, is his nature. He, it's a divine nature. Incarnation is not in the scripture, but we believe that God became flesh. John said that he became flesh, and he what? He dwelled among us. Incarnation. Uh, the incarnation is not in scripture. So the point is this, is that rapture, just because rapture is not in the Bible, doesn't mean the rapture is not an event that takes place in the Bible. Matter of fact, the word ripe rapture comes from the Latin word, uh, that we get, it comes from raptoro, which was translated from Latin, from Greek to Latin, and that is where we get the word. It's an interesting word. It means to be seized or to caught up. It means to be, uh, one of the uh, great words means to be rescued. And the word pictures is a child that is playing, and all of a sudden, that child is yanked out of danger in just the right moment. How many know that's a good word for the rapture? is that God raptures us or captures us or sieges us right at the right moment to be snatched away from danger. And so uh, when we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 51 and 52, I mentioned the word mystery again. It means uh, has been hidden but is now revealed. We shall not all sleep, meaning that all believers uh, will die. Uh, there'll be believers that die before the rapture, but when Jesus comes again, all of a sudden, all of those which are dead will rise again also. And so we, we see Paul in himself, again, was expecting the resurrection. Now, here's something about the rapture that I want you to know. The rapture is not the event. The rapture is what happens at the event. Okay? What is the event then? The event is the coming of the Lord and the resurrection of the dead. That is the event. The rapture is not the event. The rapture is what takes place at the event. It is a supernatural thing that happens at the coming of the Lord and the resurrection of the dead. In other words, if we believe Jesus' uh, uh, death and resurrection, we, if we believe, listen, if we're sitting here tonight and we believe that Jesus died on a cross, that he laid in a tomb for three days, and he was resurrected after three days. If we believe in the resurrection, why would it be difficult for us to believe in the rapture of the church? Is that not right? If you believe there's an empty tomb tonight, you should have no trouble believing the Lord shall redescend from heaven with a shout and a trumpet and the voice of the archangel and the dead in Christ shall rise. We should have no trouble believing this. It is a supernatural event, and so we, we should not uh, have any trouble believing. Matter of fact, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 14 says, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, 
even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. What does it say? For if we believe that Jesus died and rose, we also can believe in the, in, in the rapture of the church. And so we believe that the rapture of the church all took place, can take place. And so we believe in the rapture of the church. Now, it, it, it's kind of like this. If we take a bunch of metal, uh, and the way to describe it would be like this. If I took a bunch of metal, if I took gold and threw it down, and silver and threw it down, if I took brass and, and zinc and copper and iron and all threw it down on the ground, some of it under the ground, and I came by through with a magnet and ran a magnet over that, all of that metal, all of that kind of metal, then some of that metal would what? Some of that metal would begin to rise and stick to that magnet. Is that not right? That's what would happen. But what metals would? The metals that would rise would be the metals that, that carry the same characteristic as the magnet. It's the same thing with the rapture. When Jesus comes, those who have Jesus in their heart, who are carrying Christ with them, who are like him, will be raised with him and be attracted to him. Not all the metal was raised up, but those that carried the same characteristics of that magnet was drawn to it the same way the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So when Jesus come, those who have the same nature will be drawn to him. And so we believe the rapture. We believe that the rapture, because we believe, uh, the, because we believe the gospel, we believe in the gospel. The rapture is a link to redemption. The rapture is a, relink, a, a, a link to redemption. It's like this. Uh, you can't have Calvary without a rapture. You can't have, it's like having east and not having west. It's like having up and not having down. Right? It's like having night and not day. I mean, the rapture is so, uh, is so attached to the redemption of mankind. The rapture is part of redemption. God, Calvary, God was not finished. In other words, you can't have the incarnation without the coronation, right? You can't have the incarnation without the coronation of Christ. We believe it. Why do we believe it? Because the word of God teaches us it. That's why we believe it. Verse 15, for this we say to you in Thessalonians 4, uh, 15, for this we say to you by what? The word of the Lord that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. In other words, why do we believe it? Because the word of God teaches it. Why do we believe it? Because of the gospel. Because, because we believe the resurrection, we also believe in the rapture. And so because we believe it, because it is a part of the Word of God, the Word of God teaches it, so we believe it. And so that is uh, the what. The what is the sacred mystery. The mystery of the church is this, is that just as there was a resurrection, so shall there be also a resurrection of the dead and a rapture of the church. Number two. Number two, the second W is who? Who, who, who? Who, the select multitude of the rapture. Who is those who will be caught up in the rapture? Now, I'm giving you foundation tonight. I'm giving you just a foundation. Now, someday I'm going to preach, and I've done this a couple of years before, I'm going to preach on what to do if you miss the rapture. All right? So if you're in here tonight and you're not born again, and you miss the rapture, don't miss church on Sunday, because you're going to need to take notes. All right? Bring somebody lost Sunday. Have somebody watch that doesn't know Christ on Sunday live stream. Bring them, because they've got to know what to do if the rapture happens, and millions and millions of people are raptured out of here, and the fake news is telling them one thing. Come on, y'all. We are being set up even right now. For the rapture of the church. Come on. Y'all know what I'm talking about. You can't believe a word they're saying on television. Not a word of it. Hardly a word of it. What are they doing? They're setting this nation up. 
They're setting you up for the moment when the church is out of here so they can report false stuff and false things of what happened. They can call it alien abduction. They can call it whatever they want. That, that, that They can call it that God just judged the mean, righteous people who thought they were better than everybody else. I'm telling you, you'll hear every explanation of it, Right? And that's going to be the truth. But we know that by the word of God, it says there will be a rapture of the church. Some will be left behind. Some won't make it. Some will not make it. Some who do not know the Lord will be left behind. But who are those that will be caught up with the Lord? Who are those that are going to make it? Who are those that are going to make it through into the sign? Who are we talking about? And so verse 4, look at verse 4 of Revelation chapter 4. Now, I want you to see this. John is giving us a picture. He's giving us a picture. You say, well, how do you know this is the rapture of the church? Because I'm going to show you right now. I'm going to show you why this is a picture of the rapture of the church. Verse 4, around the throne were 24 thrones, and on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. Now, When we look at this, and we know when we look at this verse, I'm going to tell you what it is. This is the dead in Christ and those who have been transformed in Christ Jesus. You are looking in verse 4 of Revelation 4, you are giving a glimpse into the throne room of God. You're seeing a picture of the saints that have gathered together and have been culminated and pulled together all together. Verse 4, that's you. You're in the midst of verse 4. And you say, how do you get me out of verse 4? I'm glad you asked. Because, look what the Bible says there. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting, 24 elders sitting, clothed in white robes. They had crowns of gold on their heads. All right? And you say, well, how do you get us out of that. Paul sees 24 elders. The elders are representation of God's people and the saints. Okay, well, how do you know that, Pastor? Well, first of all, why 24? 24 represents God's rule on earth and on heaven, right? Now, remember, remember what I told you when we went over numbers. I told you that the number 12 was a number of what? Government, right? And remember the number 3 was the number of divinity, right? Was divinity. Number 4 was the number of the earth. Is that not right? So 4 times 3 equals what? Equals 12, which is government, which is earthly government. Earthly government times 2 is 24, The 24 elders represent the rule of God on the earth. You say you got to go a little bit further. How we know that these are not angels. I'm going to show you. Chapter 5 and verse 11 says this. Then I looked and I heard a voice of many angels around the throne and living creatures and the what? The elders. They're not angels because angels are mentioned separate than the elders and the creatures. Uh, 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 than those creatures around the throne in chapter 5, verse 11. You say, well, maybe it's symbolic. Is it symbolic? No, we know it's not symbolic because look at verse 5. Verse 5 of chapter 5 says, But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll to loose its seven seals. What did they do? They talked to one another. It couldn't be symbolic because they talked to one another. The four and 20 elders, the 24 elders, are representative of God's rule on earth. Now, Ron here, Ron and Joe here, are elders of this church, right? They are elders of RVCC. They are representatives of our church, but they're not our church. We are the church, is that right? But they are the representatives of our church, And what you see here in Revelation 4, when you see the 24 elders, you are seeing God's rule and God's representatives on the earth. 12 and 12 is 24. 
12 Old Testament, which were the sons of Jacob, the tribes of Jacob, the 12 sons of Jacob, and the 12 representatives in the New Testament are what? Are the apostles of the church. Is that making any sense? The picture here is representative. You, let me just take you a little farther. These elders represent all who are born again. Well, how do we know that? Because the Bible tells us in Revelation 21 and Revelation 22 that the gates of the 12 gates of the new city of Jerusalem is what? They are named after the 12 tribes of Israel. And the foundation of the new Jerusalem in Revelation 21 and 20, uh, Revelation 21 and 12 and 22, and the foundation of the city have the names of what? The 12 apostles. So you have the 12 gates of the new city after the 12 sons of Jacob, and you have the foundations that are built upon the apostles. And so it's a representation to us of the whole church. They represent the church body, just as our elders of our church represent our church body. They're not our church body, but they represent our church body. So what we have here in heaven, John has seen a scene where there has been an evacuation of God's people and, and the uh, uh, extraction of God's people, and he's seen around the throne room of God of some activity that is taking place. And so when we see, when the words tell John to come up here, it's not a singular word. It's not as if I would say, honey, come up here. It would be as though I say, come up here, which means an invitation to all who come. And so that's the wording. So what we're getting is a prophetic picture of the rapture of the church when John is pulled off the earth into heaven. It is a prophetic picture of us being pulled off the earth and into heaven. And then God takes John into this vision where he's seeing around the throne and he gets this picture of the four and 24 elders that are there. But not only does he see them, but he also gets to describe who they are. In other words, the description of these elders, how are they described? Well, the Bible says they are what? They are wearing white remnant, that they are clothed in white robes, white remnant. What does the white remnant represent in Scripture? It represents the righteousness that we have in Christ Jesus. So when we are born again, Christ does what? He clothes us in righteousness as the Scripture says. Now let me give you a better description. Revelation chapter 9 and verse 18 says that they are arrayed in fine linen, linen, clear, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. So when you see the robes and the fine linen in the book of Revelation being worn, it is robes of righteousness. So not only is there the representatives of the church there, but they're wearing what? Robes of righteousness. They are those that are wearing robes of righteousness. And then it says this. And then they are what? They are wearing crowns of gold. They are wearing crowns of gold. Now, where would they receive those crowns? The picture of these, where would they receive them? I'll tell you where they receive them. Right here at the judgment seat of Christ. What John is seeing, the church that has been raptured, that has stood before the judgment seat of Christ, they are now positioned on the throne, around the throne, here in Revelation chapter 4, before all of these things of the great tribulation has begun, we see this picture of the church, the rapture of the church in heaven. We see the church in heaven, and it's there around the throne of God, and it's there, and we see the church, and we see it just a picture of it inside there. Remember, John's book is about imagery, and we talked about how important imagery was and how that numbers were in the book of Revelation. If you understood the imagery and the numbers, you could understand the book of Revelation. Woo, this is good stuff. My goodness, this is good stuff. But we know that not everyone will be there. We know that not everyone will be there. Luke chapter 17. Let me read that to you real quick. Matthew, Mark, Luke chapter 17 and verses 30, 34 through 37. This is very sobering. This is something that some, a friend of mine witnessed this to me when I was unsaved. I was standing at a convenience store in Ludlow, Kentucky, and he read this scripture to me about the rapture of the church, and he said this. He said, think of it like this, Shane. 
He says, I tell you that in the end of the night, in other words, this will happen in the night. It'll happen as in, in, uh, suddenly, unexpectedly. How many know the rapture of the church is going to be sudden, unexpectedly? No man knows the hour nor when. You could be driving home tonight and the rapture of the church begin to happen. And we could be out of here before we lay our head on a pillow tonight. In the night. I tell you, in the night there will be two Two men, one in bed, and one will be taken, and the other will be left. Two women will be grinding together, and one will be taken, and the other one left. A woman will be in the field, one will be taken, and the other one will be left. And, and they answered and said to him, Where, Lord? So he said to them, uh, Wherever the body, there is the eagles, where, uh, will be gathering together. In other words, the principle is this, that where, where uh, just as eagles would gather to a prey or gather together to a prey so that the time of the Lord that comes, he will gather all those that belong to him. The Bible says we will be gathered together with him forever. In other words, we're always to be together. We're always to be together as the church. We need one another. We're always to be together. We're always to be with one. Just as a thief comes to seal, so shall this coming of the Lord be. So shall this be. And so those who don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, the truth is we walk around our world and we all look similar. We do. You go in the grocery store, we all dress similar, we all look alike. There's nothing that really distinct, distinguishes us different than anyone else. I mean, we're humans, we all pretty much have the same characteristics and we dress the same. When it's cold, we wear coats. When it's, when it's summer, we wear a short uh, uh, summer attire and winter, we wear winter attire. I mean, we're all very similar. There are a few other kooks out there that do a little bit different than everybody else, but hey, we'll take them on too. But the truth is that we're all alike. We all look alike, we dress alike, there's a likeness, there's the same, but the vast, there's a vast difference that separates us. And the thing that separates us in this building and everywhere out there is the fact, are you saved or are you lost? That's the vast difference. The vast difference, are you born again or are you not born again? Do you know Jesus or do you not know Jesus? There'll be two in church, one taken and the other one left. There'll be two at home, one taken, and the other one left. There'll be two at work, one taken, and the other one. And it'll come in a sudden moment, in a sudden hour, when no one knows the hour of when it is expected. I have to hurry because I want to get to the end of this tonight because I really want to blow your mind with something very powerful. It'll make you shout tonight. You want to, you want to leave here shouting tonight? We're going to leave here shouting tonight. Verse 2, the Bible says this. It said, and immediately... I was in the spirit. You know what that, the connotation of that is? John was caught up into heaven suddenly, immediately. He was, in other words, he was not expecting it. He said, immediately I was caught up in heaven. The beginning of Revelation 4, the word church is not found throughout the rest of the book. We see the word church all over chapter 2 and 3, but we never see it again after chapter 4. We never see a mention of the church other than in heaven and after the rapture occurs in chapter 4 and the church is caught up to meet the Lord, uh, only the Father God knows when he will, he will return. It marks the end of the church age. We are no longer spoken of as being here on earth or around the earth. 1 Corinthians 15 talks about the coming. He shall come in the twinkling of an eye. You know what that means? It, uh, some used to translate it and say it meant the blinking of an eye. It's not the blinking of an eye. It's actually translated like this. The Greeks would translate it like this. When light would hit the eye, it would reflect off the eye. In other words, if we're in this room and it's dark and the lights come on, when there's a reflection in our eye, that's the twinkling of an eye. When an eye recognizes light, that is the twinkling. It said in the twinkling of an eye, in a moment. A moment is a word for Adam as the reaction of an atom, which is the smallest individual period of time known to us. It's the reaction of an atom in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. And so all of a sudden we know that, that all of a sudden it's that quick. That's how sudden the rapture can take place. The return of the Lord can take place. Now Revelation 24 talks about uh, uh, the signs of the times. How shall we know when the rapture is close? Listen, the signs of the time are not depicting the rapture. The signs of the time are depicting the coming of the Lord and his second reign. 
The signs of the time are depicting the tribulation, not the rapture. It's kind of like this. Let me explain to you this way. It came to me today as I was coming home from the funeral. I was riding through Madison. Do you all know that it's November what? What's it? November 19th? November 19th. And how many of you all know all the Christmas stuff is up in Madison November 19th? How many of y'all got Christmas stuff up at your house? Lord Jesus. We'll anoint you later. How many would if you had the energy? <laughs> no, I'm just teasing. So I came through Madison today, and as I came through Madison, I saw all the Christmas up. But that was the sign of Christmas was coming, right? But the next event is Thanksgiving. You get it? See, the signs of the time in Scripture lead to the return of Jesus right here when he comes back and reigns with his church. That's the signs that you've seen in the earth. It's the signs of tribulation that are coming. It's these signs. It's not the sign of the rapture. Because you see the ends of the times or the days of sorrow doesn't tell you that the, that the rapture coming. It tells you that Christ is coming, that the tribulation's coming. It tells you that there is, a, there is the judgment of Christ is coming. But the next event is the rapture. We have no idea when that is coming. We have no idea of the moment that that's going to happen. But we know that it's soon because we know that it plays out because that has to happen before the tribulation begins to take place. But we see Christmas is coming, but we know Thanksgiving is next week. We know Jesus is coming and the tribulation is coming, but we know the rapture is coming at any time. And that's a way to describe it to you tonight and to give you an idea of, of, of just, just how suddenly the rapture can happen. The rapture is not Jesus coming in great power and glory. It is him coming for his church before he comes in great power and great glory. Listen, the rapture is imminent. It will happen. We know that it's going to happen. Now, this is what I wanted to get to and show you tonight. I want to talk about the fourth why tonight or the fourth W tonight, which is why the motive of the rapture. What is the motive of the rapture of the church? Well, I'm, I'm going to show you here. Verses again, let's read again, two through four. Immediately I was in the spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven. That means firm. How many know God's throne is firm? How many know nobody can knock God off his throne? His throne is set and firm. It says, set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he who sat there was like jasper and a sardis stone in the appearance, and there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. And around the throne there were 24 thrones, and on the thrones I saw uh, 24 elders sitting, clothed in white robes, and they were crowned with crowns of gold on their heads. Now, you're going to see in these verses, what is the motive? Why? Why does the rapture come? What is the motive for the coming of the Lord Jesus? What is the, what is the motive for the rapture? Well, the motive for the rapture is, is that we, we, the Bible tells us, that we will judge and administrate justice and judgment with the Lord Jesus Christ himself. In other words, the Bible tells us that we too shall rule and reign with Christ. That we too will rule and reign with him. And the motive of the rapture is threefold. Number one, the motive of the rapture is the reception of his bride. In other words, the receiving of his bride. What does John chapter 14 tell us? It, 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 it says, let, let me read it to you. It's, very, it's a very familiar passage of scripture. John 14. And it says this. It says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me, my father's house, or what? Many mansions. If it were not so, I would not have told you. I go and what? And prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and what? Receive you to myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know also. In other words, he receives us. In other words, he comes and receives his bride. He receives us, and we shall see him in his majesty. We shall see him in his glory. We shall see him as he is. He has prepared a place for us. And the reason why uh, the motive of the rapture is that Christ can receive his bride, that we can become his bride. 
but also in receiving. I want you to see in the verse 3 there. And he who sat there like a jasper and a sardis stone in appearance, and there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance of emerald. Now this is powerful. This is very powerful imagery. Now listen, the, the, the sardis stone and the jasper were two stones that were in the breastplate on the high priest is chest. They were the 12 stones of the high priest. The jasper stone was the first stone. And the sardis stone was the second. No, the sardis stone was the first stone. And the, and the jasper stone was the last stone. It was to remind us that he is the beginning and the end of all things. The sardis represents Jacob's firstborn son. Jesus, who was what? The firstborn of many. Is that not right? And the sardis stone is the color red, and it is a picture of the red. When Jesus came, he came to Calvary. He came as a, as a sacrifice to us. The sardis stone was of red. It was a picture of the sacrifice that Jesus, being the firstborn of many, resurrected, that he came and died and sacrificed for us. The jasper stone, it was a representation of Benjamin, who was the son of Jacob's right hand. When Jesus went to sit on the throne and all things were finished, the Bible said what? He went, Hebrews 9 says, he went and made ever sacrifice. He sat down at the right hand of God ever to make intercession for us. The Sardis stone represents his coming and sacrifice. The jasper stone represents his position now, which is at the right hand of God, ever making intercession for you and I. It is a picture of what? Of his reception of us. He's receiving us. He's receiving. The, star, the sardis stone is red in color. These two emblems speak of his purity and his blood sacrifice. Because the jasper is also a clear stone. How many know that his blood, his sacrifice, the sardis stone that, that, that represented his blood, washed us away, and now we became righteous in him. All of our sins have been washed away, and he represents, he, in other words, it's a, what does it mean? It means that, that just as the stones of Jacob's tribes were on the chest of the high priest, so you and I are on the heart of Jesus, who is our high priest. Huh? Isn't that good to know? We're right here. And he comes to receive us. The rapture of the church is the gathering of the bride whom he's redeemed and whom he's also made the sons of his right hand. You know why? Because the Bible says we shall rule and reign with him. Where he sets, we also set. We shall be on thrones like he is and help him rule. The millennial kingdom is about setting up a kingdom where we rule with Christ Jesus. Woo! That's pretty good stuff. So the motive of the rapture is the reception. The second is our rescue. Now, I love this. Man, if y'all don't run out of here on this, I will. What did it say? It, look, look at this in verse, in verse 3. And uh, the second part of verse 3, in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne in the appearance like an emerald. There was a rainbow around the throne in the appearance of a rainbow. And so now the rainbow is green in color, emerald, right? The emerald is a, symbol of, is a symbol of life, all right? Now, it's even deeper than this. It's even deeper than this. The Bible says that there was a rainbow that circled the throne. Now, when we see a rainbow, we only see a bow, right? That's what we see. We see the seven prism colors of the rainbow. But around heaven, there's a circular rainbow. And guess what? Let me tell you the truth about rainbows. The truth about rainbows is they are circular. They're not half. If you go up into the heavens and look down on earth and you could see a rainbow, you'd see a complete circle. It's a picture of eternity. Green is a picture of eternity. Emerald is the picture of eternity. It is a picture. It was the ancient. It's, listen, in, in Jewish time, grooms would give brides, the jewels they would give them would be the emerald jewels to their bride. It was a picture of eternity and a picture of everlasting covenant. 
See, the rainbow is a picture of our rescue. It is a pic- Listen, look what's around the throne. There's lightning, there's thunders. It's an indication the storm is coming, but the rainbow means that the storm has passed. It's God's covenant. It's God's perfect circle. The rainbow stands for the covenant that God has made with his people. Hallelujah. Now get this. Now this is what's awesome. There are seven prismatic colors in the rainbow. Is that not right? Seven prismatic colors. There are three primary. Does anybody know what those primary colors of the rainbow are? Close. Red, blue, yellow are the primary colors. But if you put, now listen, red, blue, and yellow. If you put blue and yellow together, what color do you get? You get green, right? But it's light green. But if you throw red in there, what do you get? You get emerald. You get dark green. You get emerald green. What's that tell us? That if you take red out, if you take the sacrifice out, if you take the blood out, you don't have the eternal picture of green. We don't have green in the rainbow. We, we, there, there's a, there's a, the red has to be a part of it. There has to be the part. The circle of the rainbow speaks of eternity. It speaks of it. And the key color... And the key color, the red has to be, in order to make emerald, there has to be the sacrifice of the color red. The circle of the rainbow. And so listen, the church is taking out before the great, listen, it's a picture of God's eternal protection and promise. Listen, the, the reason why, there's the rescue. What are we being rescued from? We've already been rescued by the blood of Jesus, is that not right? What are we being rescued from now? We're being rescued. The eternal promise, the reason for the rapture is to pull us out of the lightning and the storm and the wrath that is coming upon the earth. He is rescuing us from that and pulling us to his own because we are his bride and he has given us the emerald jewels of his presence and pulling us out that we might be with him to return later to what? To rule and reign with him on his thrones on the earth. Woo! Now, if that's not good enough for you, I don't know what else to tell you. And you say, well, show me. I'm going to close with this tonight. I'm trying to whew, keep it together. But I'm going to close with this tonight. And uh, I want to give you a couple of scriptures and evidence that there is a pre-tribulation rapture. Here's the first one, and I'm going to do it fast. Revelation chapter 5. I want you to see this. In Revelation chapter 5, there is a scroll that is opened. Is that not right? The Bible said on the scroll there are seven seals. On the seven seals, it says they're looking for one who is worthy to open the scroll. From heaven, there's a cry crying out, who is worthy to open the scroll? Is there not one that is worthy? And then they said, yes, there is one. Who is he? He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. And the Son of Man steps up to open the scroll. And the Bible says that the scroll has seven seals on it. That there are seven seals on this particular scroll which is being opened. Now, you have to understand Jewish history in order to understand the importance of this scroll. This is a seven seal scroll. The picture of the scroll is as an opening of a will or a deed, a will being read. Now, in ancient times, when wills were, were sealed and to be opened, they would take the, the, the will, and they would roll the will up, and they'd put seven seals on the will. And the seals were representative. The seven seals were put on there, and what would happen is there would be seven witnesses that had to be present in order to open the seal. They would take the family signet ring of those who were the inheritance. Whew, I'm about, get about ready to get really happy here in a minute. The, those who were the, of the inheritance are the ones who used their family seals or rings to seal the inheritance. So they'd put a, they'd put a seal on it, and then that family member who was a part of the will would put his ring on that seal. And the next one would do it. 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 
And when the one who the will was had died in order to break the seal, the person whose signet ring was on that seal was the only one who could break that seal. Not only that, the seven witnesses of the sealing had to be there when the seals were opened up. Now, you know the number seven means perfection, right? Completion, perfection. Who in Revelation 5 is it talking about there that has to be a witness to the opening of these seven seals? Why seven? Because in the church age, there were what? Seven churches. Is that not right? Seven churches. Seven churches in the church age. After the rapture of the church, the first thing that is opened is the inheritance of the church by the seven seals. Who has to be there? The seven stars are the seven messengers of the seven churches of Asia. They had to be present in order for the seal to be open. That tells us this. It tells us that the church is already there because the lamb is stepping forward, getting ready to break the seal to open the inheritance of the church and the inheritance of the church age, we are about to hear the heavenly inheritance that is about to be given to the church, but we have to be present in order for it to be open. Yes. Come on, y'all. That's good stuff. Why do you think the prodigal son, the father, put what on him? He put a coat on him? Is that not right? He killed the fatty calf, but what else did he give him? He gave him the family ring. You know why? Because when his father sealed the will, he had to seal it with that ring. And when the inheritance came, he was able to open up because now he was no longer a slave. He's a son. (laughs) Woo! Glory to God. That's good stuff. Now, now, listen, watch. I'm going to show you in heaven. You want to see yourself in heaven? Let me show you. Uh, Revelation, I'm done. I got two minutes. Uh, Revelation 5 look, 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 at verse, look at verse 9 I'm going to show you in heaven now They're opening the seven seals I'm going to show you why There's a pre-tribulation church Look at verse 9 It says, and they sang a new song Who's they? That's us And they sang a new song How do you know it's us? Verse 8 And when he had taken the scroll The four living creatures The the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and a golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. We are going to fall at Jesus' feet. Not only are we going to fall at Jesus' feet, we are going to be carrying harps and golden bowls of incense. And it says, and they sang a new song saying what? Who are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals? For you were slain. And look, 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 and have redeemed who? Us to God by your blood and out of every tribe, tongue, and nation and have made what? Us, us, kings and priests unto our God. And we shall what? Reign on the earth. Woo, come on, (laughs) y'all. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and strength and honor and glory and blessing. In other words, we are, there's a worship center uh, service breaks out in heaven. And we cry out, who is he that has redeemed us and made us kings and priests unto God? Whoo! Come on, y'all. That's good stuff. Y'all going to sleep good tonight. Praise God. Celine, would you come real quickly? I'm going to close with this scripture. Here's a scripture you can also use as a pre-tribulation scripture. We'll talk about it more as we get into this study. I'm here to tell you, number three, there's the reception, there's the rescue, and then there's the reunion. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 4.17, and we shall be caught up together with him and be forever with our Lord. We will be forever with him. Ever caught up together, caught up together. We should never forsake our assembling of ourselves together. We should never take for granted of our gathering together. If you don't like worshiping with one another now, what are you going to do in heaven when we're all together? Come on, you don't like the Baptists? What are you going to do when you get to heaven? 
you don't like the Catholics, what are you going to do? Like, what are you going to do when you get in heaven? You don't like the Lutheran, what are you going to do when you get to heaven? Huh? Just listen to me. Just listen to me for a moment. What are you going to do when you get to heaven? Because the Bible says we shall all be together. It didn't say all spirit-filled people, all bad. When we all get to heaven, what a day that will be. Here's the scripture. Turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. This is your pre-tribulation. This is your, this is your uh, pre-tribulation scripture. We'll talk a little bit more about it later. I just gave you a little taste of it tonight. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Let me read verses 9 and 10 to you. For they themselves declare concerning us of what manner of entry we had to you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Paul talking to the Thessalonians. And to wait for his son from heaven. What does it say? And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus. Listen to this. Even Jesus, we are waiting for our, the son to come. Even Jesus, who delivers us from the what? The wrath to come. You know what the wrath of God is? The wrath of God, according to Zephaniah, According to Zephaniah, the wrath of God is the outpouring of the judgment of these days that are here. The wrath of God is not the final judgment. That's not God's, that's God's final judgment. The wrath of God is the tribulation. Paul said, we are waiting for the Son of God, Jesus, who was raised from the dead, to come and what? And deliver us from, out of the wrath of God. God never lets his people go through the wrath of God. Never does. God never lets those, and sometimes it's just a remnant. You say, well, how do you know about that? Because the Bible said that God pulled Enoch out. God raptured Enoch. God pulled out Noah and his family. Is that not right? God pulled out Abraham and Lot. Come on, God, what did he do? He pulled them out from the wrath to come. He pulled them out from the wrath to come. God has always, through the Old Testament and the New, always protected his people from wrath, always protected those who were faithful. It was a remnant. Sometimes it was a remnant, but he protected all. I'm not going through Y'all can go through the tribulation. I'm not going through it. I'm just telling y'all right now. I'm not going. I'm not. I'm going to watch everything from my seat in heaven. <laughs> I ain't going through it. Y'all can. Go ahead and preach it and be, go ahead. Y'all just talk about the mountains falling on y'all and y'all running, screaming, wishing you were dead. I, that, no, no, no. The blood of Jesus was way too costly to allow those who were faithful to him to go through the wrath of God in the last days. I'm telling you, the rapture of the church is soon. Stand with me tonight if you would. Thank you for giving me an extra five minutes or so. Well, you didn't give it to me. I took it, but I appreciate you allowing me to take it. Hallelujah. Y'all understand there's a reception coming. The motive of the rapture is a reception for Christ and his bride. You know there's a rescue that's coming. <laughs> every time you look at the rainbow, every time you look at the rainbow, you think of that rainbow around heaven. You think of the rapture of the church. It is a promise of the rapture of the church. Whoo! It's not just a promise that God won't flood the earth again. It's a promise of the return of Christ. It's a promise of the rapture of the church. <laughs> Every time you see a rainbow, whoo, the days are drawing nigh. Thanksgiving's coming. We see Christmas, but Thanksgiving's coming. Glory to God. Father, we love you tonight. We thank you for your word. Father, we just pray your Holy Spirit would get deep down in us. Let us rejoice in your coming. I'm so thankful, God, that I'm a child of God. I'm so thankful that I'm redeemed. I'm so thankful that John saw me sitting with the four and 24 elders. That, God, I'm sitting and I'm wearing a robe of righteousness, God. Not in my own righteousness, but your righteousness. That I have a crown on my head, a reward, God, for service, God. And the Bible says we will lay them again at your feet, God, because you are worthy. We're just looking who's worthy to open the scroll. Who's worthy to open the inheritance? Who's worthy to step forward? None is worthy but you to come. And God, we thank you. We know your return is soon. And God, we know the rapture is coming. We know the rapture of the church is coming. And God, we're prepared. We're ready. 
God, some aren't. Some are just going about days and life. Some said, the scripture says, that some shall be as the days of Noah. They shall be eating and drinking and giving in marriage. They shall be going about daily life. There are good people that are going about daily life, but they forgot you, God. They forgot your house. They forgot to get their kids in church and to get their families in church. I pray they don't miss it. We pray for the lost right now, God. Prepare them for the days ahead. We redeem them by the blood of Jesus. Thank you for your salvation. Wash us in the blood. Wash us in the blood. Thank you for joining us for River Valley Community Church's podcast. If you feel led to give, you can click on the donation link in the description or visit our website at rivervalleymadison.com. If you've enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe or share with your friends. Thanks again for listening. God bless you.